the handle from a pair of channel locks lodged in the tire of a relatively new car in the middle of the night. What do you do in times like that? When life throws you a curveball. You know, it's been relatively smooth sailing. You're following the GPS and then all of a sudden you find yourself in a time of trouble. Difficult. Challenging times. That's what's happening here to the disciples of Jesus in John chapter 13. Remember, they've spent two and a half years with Jesus. They've left everything to follow him. And now they sit in the upper room, enjoying each other's company, away from the crowds. Jesus and his 12 closest companions in intimate fellowship. Jesus had just performed a, an unbelievable demonstration of his love for them. And then there was that ding. And warning lights began to flash on the dashboard. He announced that one of them would deny him, betray him, hand him over to his enemies. And he told them that he was going to leave them. And where he was going, they could not follow. And finally, he announced Peter as their spokesman would deny him not once, not twice, but three times before the sun would rise that very day in just a few hours. What do you do in a time like that? When you find yourself in the midst of circumstances that leave you with a troubled heart, to what or to whom do you turn? Jesus in John chapter 14 provided some much needed help. He started by acknowledging their reality. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Because they were troubled. And we've all been there. But then he offers a solution. Trust in God. Trust also in me. Easy to say, right? But notice he didn't stop there. He goes on to give reasons why believing in God, why trusting in him is a viable remedy for troubled hearts. A few weeks back, we saw that in verses 2 to 6, it's because of a hope of heaven. Then in the next week, in, chapter, in verses 7 to 14, we saw that it's because we can know our Father who is in heaven. And then thirdly, in the verses that we're going to focus on this morning, we will see that because we can have help from heaven. 
the hope of heaven, knowing the Father who is in heaven, and help from heaven. Make believing in God, believing in Jesus, a viable remedy for troubled hearts. Like when you find yourself in the middle of the night, 800 miles from home, the handle of a pair of channel locks lodged in your flat rear tire. Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. If you're able, please stand with me. And let's read this passage of scripture from Gospel according to John, John chapter 14, beginning at verse 1. Verse 1 of John chapter 14. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. My Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. And you know the way where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How do we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. The hope of heaven. If you had known me, you would have known my Father also. From now on you know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the Father, and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, Have I been, with, been so long with you, and yet you have not come to know me, Philip? He who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own initiative, but the Father abiding in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will also do, and greater works than these he will do, because I go to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, that will I do, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Knowing our Father who is in heaven, Verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. I'll ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. That is the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. After a little while, the world will no longer see me. But you will see me. Because I live, you will live also. In that day you will know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. 
He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father. And I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, what then has happened that you are going to disclose yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words. And the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father's who sent me. This is the word of the Lord. Please be seated. Let's pray together. Father, in the words of the psalmist, as a deer longs for streams of water, so I long for you, O God. You have disclosed yourself in the pages of this book that we hold in our hands. As a result, we can get to know you, establish an intimate relationship with you, learn of your plans and purposes. Indeed, learn a way of life that will please you and is also in our best interest. This word of God, it claims to be alive and powerful, sharper than the sharpest two-edged sword, sharp as a surgeon's scalpel, capable of cutting through anything, between soul and spirit, between joint and marrow, It exposes our innermost thoughts and desires. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of our hearts. And so we come this morning, placing ourselves on the surgeon's table. May this episode in the life and ministry of Jesus perform your intended work in each one of our lives. Thank you for this opportunity to consider your thoughts and your ways preserved and presented here in John's Gospel. Give us ears that hear, eyes that see, and hearts that are prepared to embrace the truth about you, about us, both individually and collectively. And then give us the courage and strength to respond appropriately. We come and ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In this world, you and I, we're going to have trouble. In verse 15, Jesus identified the qualifying prerequisite. Look with me at verse 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Admittedly, at first glance, I thought this verse was completely out of place almost begging the question, which of these things is not like the other? Verse 15. It just doesn't seem to fit, especially if you understand this to be a condition clause. As a challenge, Jesus urging his disciple to obey his commandments. Eugene Peterson's interpretive translation, in fact, reads this way. If you love me, 
implying that it was possible that they were not loving him, show it by doing what I've told you to. Wow. But the context of John chapter 14, that interpretation just doesn't make sense. Jesus is not questioning their love for him. He's trying to calm their troubled hearts. So how else can this statement be read so that it would help these friends who were struggling with with troubled hearts? Remember, Jesus is wanting to encourage them so that they might be able to survive the next few hours and days following his betrayal, trial, crucifixion, death, and burial. Jesus wasn't charging him, charging them. He was acknowledging that their love for him would empower them to keep his commandments. That's much more consistent with what's happening here in John chapter 14. Jesus acknowledged that his disciples' love for him would empower them to keep his commandments. Love enables us to obey, not because we have to, out of some sense of obligation, or because we have been manipulated, bribed, or somehow coerced. Not because we're intimidated, bullied, or out of fear for our physical well-being. No, love enables us to obey because we want to. Provides intrinsic motivation. And that's what Jesus is saying here. And he said it emphatically. We have to be both blind and deaf not to hear what Jesus is saying here. Look at what he, how he repeats himself again and again. Look down at verse 21. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. And then in verse 23, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And then he states it again negatively in verse 24. He who does not love me does not keep my words. Love is a powerful, intrinsic motivator. The Apostle John returns to this emphasis in his letters. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3. By this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Wow. Obedience provides assurance of salvation. That would calm a troubled heart. Verse 4 continues. The one who says, I have come to know him and does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him the love of God has truly been perfected. First John chapter 5, verses 2 and 3. By this we know that we love the children of God when we love God and observe his commandments. For this is the love of God, that we keep his commandments. For genuine followers of Jesus, 
the love and obedience are inseparably linked together. You can't say you have one without the other. Love without obedience is lip service, meaningless talk, at worst, at best, I mean. At worst, it would be a display of self-deception. On the other hand, obedience without love is just legalism. For genuine believers, those who are trusting Jesus Christ alone for their salvation, you know, this love and obedience, they're inseparably linked together. Here in John chapter 14, Jesus acknowledges that his disciples' love for him would empower them to keep his commandments. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. He's not questioning their love for them, for him. He knew they loved him. He also knew that their love for him would propel them. It would drive them. It would give them a passionate desire to keep his commandments. And living a life that keeps Jesus' commandments will calm troubled hearts. Regardless of what's happening around you, or in you, or to you. Many of you will know that old hymn, Trust and Obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus but to trust and obey. Here in John chapter 14, Jesus is saying, Love and obey, for there is no more effective way to deal with troubled hearts than to love and obey. Jesus acknowledged love as a qualifying prerequisite for keeping his commandments, the kind of obedience that would calm their troubled hearts, and it will calm your heart and my heart as well. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. But Jesus was a realist. He knew that they would need some help beyond just this prerequisite. Love puts us on the starting line, but life is really a marathon with an array of thrilling victories and agonizing defeats. Good times and more difficult, challenging times. Ups and downs. Times that can leave us with troubled hearts. In this world, you and I will have trouble. Unavoidable, inescapable. Notice the enabling promises introduced in the first part of verse 16. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper. That's a promise. Jesus not only acknowledged that his disciples' love for him would empower them to keep his commandments, Jesus' promises enabled those who love him to keep his promises, to keep his commandments. 
there are at least three enabling promises in these next few verses. Look at verses 16 and 17. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it does not see him or know him. But you know him, because he abides with you and will be in you. Interesting that Greek word translated another. The Greek language, there are actually two Greek words that are both translated another. The first is a loss, and the second one is heteros. The, the, a loss means one of the same kind. Heteros means one of a different kind. You know, when we were in Myrtle Beach, one of the things we did one morning was take off and go for a walk along the beach, made it to the boardwalk in Myrtle Beach, and it was around noon, and we decided we need to stop for lunch and try some fresh fish and chips. Who wouldn't do that in Myrtle Beach, right? So we stopped and at an Oceanside Diner on the boardwalk. In fact, the sign said it had been established in 1948. So it was a little rustic, but the menu looked good. Lunch menu actually included a couple of options for us. There was the, the flounder filet basket or the grouper filet basket. At our table, we all had the flounders. It was a wider, flatter fish. The grouper was kind of fat um, poles or whatever. And, uh, so, but we all had the fl flounders. And I noticed the lady sitting at the table next to us she had the grouper fish. At our table, we had one of the same kind. She had one of a different kind. So at our table, we enjoyed the same kind of fish, but she had some, a different kind of fish. The word used here in John chapter, or verse 16, the Greek word alos, which means one of the same kind. And that's important. Jesus was asking the Father to send another helper of the same kind. Well, what was the initial helper then? Jesus. Jesus. And so Jesus was saying, send a helper of the same kind. A different kind, not a different kind, but the same kind. Both flounders, not a grouper, so to speak. My NASB translates the Greek word paraclete as helper. In the NIV, if you have that, or the New Living Translation, it uses advocate. The message uses friend. I think others use the word comforter, another comforter. Greek word carries a little literal meaning to call alongside to assist. Kent Hughes in his commentary on John offers this explanation. The Greek word used here, paraclete, often meant one who was a legal counsel in court. 
one who argued the case and stood in someone's stead. It always contains the idea of encouragement, one who will shoulder the responsibility of another. Jesus promised that he would ask the Father to send another helper that would provide the same kind of help that he had been providing these disciples for the last two and a half or three years. Notice the defining qualities of this helper beginning at the end of verse 16. That he may be with you forever. Folks, that's a long time. Remember, Jesus had just told them that he was departing and where he was going, they could not come. In verse 13, in, verse thir- in chapter 13, verse 33. Or not, at least not immediately. Verse 36. This helper he was asking the Father to send would be with them forever. Today, tomorrow, every day to the end of their life, and then into eternity. Forever. Secondly, he is the spirit of truth. Now Jesus had just claimed in John chapter 14, verse 6, that I am the way, the truth, and the life. He is one and the same kind of helper. It's referring to the spirit of truth. Look ahead to John chapter 16, verse 13. Jesus is speaking to the eleven again about this spirit. But when he comes, the spirit of truth comes. He will guide you into all truth. He is the spirit of truth. And then thirdly, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him, but you know him because he abides with you and be and will be in you. How has this spirit abided with them? With the disciples? Again, in Jesus. The helper had been with them in Jesus. But in the future, he would not only be with them no longer, but actually in them. No matter where they went, who they were with, or even when they were all alone, completely isolated, they would not be able to escape the presence of this spirit of truth. Now there's some good news for troubled hearts. The Apostle Paul asked the believers in Corinth a rhetorical question in chapter, 13, chapter 3, verse 16. Do you not know that you are a temple of God? that the Spirit of God dwells in you? The moment we start trusting Jesus Christ alone for our salvation, this helper takes up residence in our lives. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. And when you believed in Christ, he identified you as his own by giving you the Holy Spirit whom he promised long ago. And Romans chapter 8, verse 9 includes this caution. And remember that those who do not have the Spirit of Christ 
living in them do not belong to him at all. Promise number one, another helper who will be in you. Look at verse 18. I will not leave you as, or, as an orphan. Jesus was not about to abandon them. Not at all. Far from it. Goes on, I will come to you. A reference to his post-resurrection appearances? Clearly. But there is more. Look at verse 19. After a little while, the world will no longer see me, but you will see me because I live, you will live also. In other words, because I live beyond death and have eternal life, you too will have eternal life. John chapter 5, verse 24 says, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned, but is passed out of death into life. Another translation says, has crossed over from death to life, eternal life. Notice verse 20 and 21. In that day you will know that I am in the Father, you in me, and I in you. He who has my commandments and keeps them is the one who loves me. He who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and will disclose myself to him. Promise number two. Jesus will be in us and will continue to disclose himself to us. What a promise. Us being those who love him and keep his commandments, right? Have you noticed the widening circle here? Did you notice that? In verse 15, he's speaking directly to the disciples that are with him present in that upper room. If you love me, if you love me, now in verse 21, it is he who keeps my commandments. Now look at the, ahead to verse 23. If anyone loves me, at that point, he's speaking to you and I, anyone. In verse 22, Judas, not the one who had decided to betray him and has left the upper room earlier in the evening, but another one of the original 12, who's also been called Judas, has sensed the, there's, a, there's something significant happening here, some kind of transition going on. And you ask, what's happening here? Things aren't adding up in my mind. Why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? That, that makes no sense to me whatsoever. What was the Jewish expectation of their Messiah in first century Palestine? He was going to come as a conquering king. Remember John chapter 12? Hosanna, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, even the king of Israel. That was their expectation. A conquering king, he would end Roman occupation and restore David's kingdom. And if James and John had their way, they would have the places of honor, one on his right and one on his left. Jesus was supposed to be setting up a, a kingdom 
setting Israel free. How in the world would you do that without disclosing yourself to the world? It's interesting, Jesus just kind of stays on point. Look at verse 23 and 24. Jesus answered and said to him, If anyone loves me, you heard this message before? He will keep my word, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our abode with him. He who does not love me does not keep my words, and the word which you hear is not mine, but the Father who sent me. This is clearly one of those Trinitarian passages of Scripture. I've included a couple of notes, a couple of quotes on the sermon notes at the bottom. You'll notice the word Trinity is never found in the Bible, though the idea is represented by the word is taught in many places. The word Trinity means triunity or three and oneness. It is used to summarize the teaching of Scripture that God is three persons, yet one God. And then a simple definition. Reference to, it references the doctrine that God is one and yet exists eternally in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This concept is entirely unique to Christianity. There's not another religion on the face of the planet, anywhere in the world, that has that kind of teaching. One God existing eternally in three persons. And the promise is, the third promise, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit will come and make their abode in us. In John chapter 14, verses 2 and 3, you'll remember that Jesus said he was departing to prepare a place for us, the hope of heaven, so that where he is, there we can be also. Here in verse 23, it is we who by loving Jesus and keeping his commandments, with the assistance of the helper from heaven, are preparing a place for the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in our lives. Charles Spurgeon said, a little faith will take your soul to heaven, but great faith will bring heaven to your soul. Our hearts been, can become heaven on earth as we love Jesus and keep his commandments. Warren Worsby writes, salvation means we are going to heaven, but submission means that heaven comes to us. Folks, in my mind, this is just unbelievable. God living with us. The Apostle Paul wondered, if God is for us, then who can be against us? The Spirit of God resides in every believer. The same Spirit that moved over the surface of the waters, the very beginning a participant in God's creative act that created all that existed in Genesis chapter 1. The same spirit that came upon Old Testament saints so that they were enabled to complete 
the work that God had given them to do. The same spirit that empowered Jesus' ministry from beginning to end. As one writer puts it, from womb to tomb to throne. All activities in the life of Lord Jesus Christ, all activities in his life, from birth, through his death, through his resurrection, until his ascension, occurred in the full presence and by the full power of the Holy Spirit. And that is the same spirit that lives within you and I. Listen to what the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans chapter 8, verse 11. The Spirit of God, who raised Jesus Christ from the dead, lives in you and in me. In this world, you will have trouble. But Jesus acknowledged that his disciples' love for him would empower them to keep his commandments. Jesus made three promises that enabled those who love him to keep his commandments. He promised another helper who would be in them. He promised to be in us personally and disclose himself to us. He promised the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit would make their abode with us. So all this begs the question, if our love for Christ empowers us, and the promises of Christ enable us to keep his commandments, why don't we? If you love me, you will keep my commandments. It is possible. Here is the equation according to John chapter 14, verses 15 to 24. Love for Jesus plus Jesus' help from heaven equals an obedient Christian life. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. We have the hope of heaven. We can know our Father who is in heaven. And we can accept help from heaven so that we can live an obedient life that will calm our troubled hearts in times of trouble. Let's pray. Father, you make it possible. As the one true God, you are willing, in the words of Eugene Peterson, to move right into the neighborhood, to take up residence in our lives. And our bodies become the temple of the Spirit of God. You enable us to keep Jesus' commandments, to live according to your word. Now we have received, according to the Apostle Paul, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so 
so that we may know the things freely given to us by God. Admittedly, apart from the Spirit of God, we cannot live the Christian life that you've called us to live. Father, may our love for Jesus become increasingly greater than the appeal of sin. May we take full advantage of these promises that enable us to live an obedient life. Not because we have to, but because we want to. Because we love Jesus. Indeed, we have been set free from the power of sin and death. And we, re we have received power to be your witnesses at home, with our neighbors, at work, at school, in our community, in both word and deed, by our actions and our reactions. May that be the case even this week. By the power of your spirit, for your, for your glory, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.